0: I get a text message, a WhatsApp message from a journalist in Venezuela. And you know, she writes to me and she's like, um, Joseph, she's like, yeah, how's it going? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. I'm <laughs> a little busy. And she's like, oh, I just wanted to let you know that they're talking about you on Venezuelan television. What? And I'm like, what? And she sends me these clips. Now, are you guys familiar with this incident that happened recently with this uh, Venezuelan Iranian plane that uh, got detained in? Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah. You heard about it. So it's basically a Venezuelan cargo plane that's really owned by the IRGC in Iran. And they were transporting stuff. They brought it to, uh, uh, it got st- It was landed in Buenos Aires. This is around June 6th. It was supposed to take off. Uh, the Uruguayans shut their airspace so they had to circle back. And then it got stopped by the uh, Argentine police. Anyhow, this is a case that's been going on. We I did comment on it in media and stuff like that. Uh, I know a lot about the case, but nonetheless, I mean, that's not what I'm thinking about right now. At the time when I was in the border, Uh, but I was like, "Okay, well, what's going on?" She's like, "One of the Venezuelan Chavista congressmen is talking about you and saying that you're the reason the plane got stuck in Argentina. Like, they're blaming me, you know? They're saying that they, you know, the the Argentine uh, judicial uh, judiciary or whatever the the U.S. department because the U.S. Department of Justice made a request to the Argentine government to seize the plane, Mm -hmm. which the Argentine government then did seize the plane, and." and so, they're like, they're basically, you know, they're doing propaganda, right? The Chavistas, are doing what they do. But it's not a good time to tell me this right now. <laughs> and they're like, wow. I'm, like, in my mind, I'm just like, okay, can we, like, talk about this, like, tomorrow? Welcome to Border Wars, the first bilingual podcast that goes beyond the border. Welcome to the Border Wars podcast. Uh, this is a special episode of the podcast. First of all, we are the number one podcast in all of the Americas, the only bilingual podcast that takes you beyond the border. But I'm going to share some experiences that I've had recently, and it was called Border Wars, so I'm going to share my little personal war that I had on the border not too long ago. Okay, so I want to tell you guys what happened. So I don't know. Uh-oh. I don't think we talked. I don't mean to start here, talked a little bit, but I don't think I told you exactly what happened. Oh. So I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. Right? <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Among those... <laughs> I did very recently, and I, I want to set this up because we're. Sergio was with me in Dallas, Texas. We were at CPAC. Yep. We went to CPAC, and um, so uh, yeah, you know, I got invited to CPAC. We all went. It was cool. It was very nice to be there. But you know, we you know we're doing the podcast, right? So we wanted to make sure that we capitalize on going to Dallas, and we're going to record podcasts. We bring all our equipment down, and and we're recording. So I set up an interview with a very special guest. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to Dallas was because all these, you know, high profile figures go to CPAC and it's really good just to capitalize on that and talk to these folks. So I set up one that I was really looking forward to. I set it up on Friday. We were going to record it on Sunday. And I was just like excited about doing it. Um, and then, you know, basically the person told me, well, why don't we do 10 a.m.? And I was like, okay, awesome. Let's do 10 a.m. Except the night before, uh, you know, CPAC ends on Saturday at uh, like you know, around 7, 8, 7 p.m. or something like that. Uh, I'm at the bar at the hotel around 10 p.m. and that person, the, the guest, was also at the bar <laughs> at the hotel about 10 p.m. Uh-oh. And we kind of just look at each other and we're like, "Yeah, maybe 10 a.m. is a little too early tomorrow." <laughs> like, it, I was like, "Don't." I was like, "We have a clear day. Don't worry about it. Just text me when you get up, and then we'll pick you up, and then we'll take you and just, you know, we're free. We're good." Um, and he's like, "All right, cool." So, anyways, I go in the next morning. I wake up. We have the, everything ready to go. Now that I know I don't have to get up so early, we're like, oh, we'll go have a breakfast in Dallas. We have found this really awesome breakfast spot. So we go have breakfast. We're all, you know, having a good time. And I'm just chilling, right? And it's like, Ninja and I was like close to noon, like 12 p.m. And I'm like, I, don't, I haven't heard from this person. I'm like, he's trying to get a little nervous. So I'm like checking. And I checked my text messages. And that the person, the guest, texted me at 10 a.m. to see if we could do it at 1 p.m. Uh-oh. And I missed the text, right? I didn't see it. And I was like, oh, crap. So I immediately, like, text back and i'm like you yeah, know no yeah we could do it for sure for sure and, and i was like well, i got a call and i called i was like yeah yeah we could do it at one pm he's like oh joseph i didn't hear for you man i'm sorry he's like i'm already out he's like i can't and i was like and i was like damn so i missed this was a high profile guest this was a high profile guess. and i was like it would have been one of more high profile guests that we've had on the pod so far so when i missed it i was just like kicking it's like and it's like a self-enforced error like i just i felt like an idiot i was like damn it i was like oh my god and the reason i didn't see my text is because i have this bad like i get texts. I don't know if you guys are getting this. I'm getting like things from like Nigeria. I just
1: got one right now. What'd you get? Uh, Kenya. Who knows? <laughs> what Manny, heck? what are you doing now? I don't know. Maybe it was Obama's brother, man. You know? Have been Obama <laughs> <Trump>. <laughs> you know?
0: So, so I'm getting those kind of weird. T- so I, like nowadays, I'll see my WhatsApp messages before my text messages because I don't get that much spam on WhatsApp. I get a crazy amount of spam oh. on my text. So that, I, that was one of the reason I missed it. But anyhow, so that, I say that because that was the reason we actually did this trip. Because we were planning to do a trip to the border, the U.S. southern border with Mexico, a little bit later. Uh, we weren't planning, because we were going to Dallas, and people don't realize this, but Dallas is actually kind of far from the border. Yeah. Like, if you drive, it's like 10 hours, and flying, it's like an hour and a half, two hours. Mm-hmm. So we weren't planning to do that. But then I was like, you know, we had all this equipment. I was like, Yo, we got to do something. So I was like, let's, let's go to the border. Uh, I don't know if you, I know Sergio knows Jose Gustavo. Uh, he's one of our senior fellows from Venezuela, so he's helping me on some research stuff we're doing. And obviously, we had uh, Leonardo, who's our, our, our creative director. He's the guy that does all the magic on, on the podcast and the videos. So they were with me, so I was like, let's go. Let's just go to the border. I was like, I, I, had, to, I had to get something in my mind that's going to be past the fact that I messed up this good opportunity to do this podcast. like, let's go to the border. So our plan was to go to Brownsville. Uh, Texas, I don't know if you guys have been out there, absolutely. Been there, yeah. yeah. What'd you right think? what you think of Brownsville?
1: I don't know, man. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. <laughs> All I know is that they told me not to park my car outside because it may not be there when I get back. Oh, wow! So I always had to park it a lot.
0: Oh, wow!
2: Absolutely, it was, you know, it was uh, I don't know, 15 20
1: years ago.
0: So you've been there?
2: I've, I've been around there. I've been to Del Rio mostly. Okay, where's Del Rio? Del Rio? Little bit... It's further north.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. So our, our goal was to go to Brownsville, then drive up like past McAllen to, I think it's Laredo. Right. And then there's the biggest border port of entry, which is Eagle Pass. Mm-hmm. And that's where we wanted to visit because that's, I think where most of the traffic was going with all the migrants and stuff. So that was the plan. I was like, we're going to do this. So we get the ticket all last minute, like get the tickets, get the rental car, uh, everything good to go. And we're like leaving the next day. Right. So and I'm feeling better now. Cause I'm like, okay, we're going to make an awesome border trip. We're going to show this on the podcast Everything. So we wake up the next morning. We had the first flight. The we're gonna leave at 7:30 or something like that. Uh, down fly down to Brownsville, and then we're gonna fly back the same day at like uh I think it was eight 7:30 8, 8 p.m. We're gonna fly back the same day, and um we're driving to uh the airport. It's like 6 a.m. or something. We're driving to the airport, and then uh our, our Leonardo he's sitting there and he's looking at his phone. He's like, you know, I can't check in. Like, why can't you check? He's like, I can't. I can't check in. He's like, and, and I, I, I'm just, you know, they, they bought the tickets. I'm assuming everything's good to go. And he bought the tickets for like August 24th or so. This is like the beginning of August. Oh, no. Has it ever happened to you guys?
1: No. Really? It's like one that of those happens. things. It happens, right? It, happens. it ha- like, like you
0: buy oh, the tickets and when you do it rushed, yeah. you don't look at the dates that closely. So yeah. I was like, what the? Heck? And so we're like, and then, you know, they like, couldn't believe it. Like, no, 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 no. Like. We're like five minutes from the airport. I was like, you know what? Well, the good news is we bought refundable tickets. So, oh. we, so we canceled it immediately. We're like, can't scan. We're not, not going to fly on August 24th. This was like, I think, the August 7th or 6th. I can't remember the exact date. Oh, no, it's August 8th. I do remember. The date's important for later. But we get, um, I said, let's just go to the airport. Let's see if they have tickets available. <laughs> we're already there. Uh, see what happens. It's expensive. Uh, so, expensive. Yeah. It, it, so thankfully, we did, we were, it actually worked. Out, fine. it. We refunded the tickets, 100% refundable. We bought tickets there. It was slightly more expensive, but not like crazy, not like in prohibited. Yeah. Uh, uh, not, it was in prohibited to travel. So we got the tickets, everything. So I'm like, this is just like one of these trips, right? Everything's going to, Murphy's Law is taking into effect. And we're like, all right, anyways, we go down, we get to the plane, we get to Brownsville. And uh, we head out to the border. And as soon as we arrive, you know, we get the rental car. As soon as we arrive, yeah. we go to uh, uh, the port of entry, which I, can, I remember there's two bridges. There's two ports of entry. One is called Gateway International. And the other one's called like Veterans Memorial. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which is which, but we went to one of them that was considered like the new, uh, the more new bridge, the new port of entry, because the other one was the old one. Right. And as soon as we get there, we, we go to a parking garage. And, you know, we figured we're going to have to survey a little bit because we don't exactly know the area. So we're going to have to survey a little bit. But as soon as we get to the garage and we park our car like at the top and we walk down, is like, shocked me. We saw catch and release as soon as we arrived there. Wow. Because they, like, um, they have a processing center for the migrants at the, like, the lower level of the parking garage. And it's, it's almost like the basement of the, because, like, it's like the under level. Wow. And it's, like, all tarped up. Like, we saw, like, something like, who the hell is going on? It's, like, all tarped up. Anyway, when we were going in, but when we walked down, you would see buses of migrants. that where They would just come. Mostly men, actually. Buses of migrants. And then they would let them go. They would put them in, and they would like lift the tarp, and they go under the tarp, and then they would be in there. And obviously, we can't go. And then they have like things like like you can't pass this area. This is you know government property and everything like that. But there's like a hot dog stand across the street, and so we're like chilling at the hot dog stand and the recording. Wait a and, minute! Wait a minute! Yeah, a
1: hot dog stand. At a Why taco not a burrito stand? stand? There you go.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's the U.S. <laughs> government. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know but I know that I didn't eat the hot dogs but some of my colleagues did and the worst hot dogs <laughs> you could have in your life so they would have been better Little off
1: taco truck
0: huh? Uh, so, see the problem is the taco truck would have attracted the migrants because yeah. then they were all <laughs> came to be able to go there but no yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the taco stand it was a bad taco stand but it was there just enough so you could position to see it and I remember this caught my attention because I think and I don't remember right there, I'm going to talk to like Jose Gustavo because they were there longer than I was but I think I remember even seeing people that were shackled that were handcuffed. Oh, wow. Not all the migrants were like that. They, they were, a lot of them were on bus, but they brought these other guys on paddy wagons mm. and they were shackled and then they would unshackle them and then they would just walk off. And I'm like, <laughs> is this dude a criminal? Or like, what's going on here? Wow. And uh, yeah, they would put them in and they would be in the, that that I guess, I don't know what it's called, like a screening center or something like that. They would be there for a certain amount of time and then they would leave. And then some of them would just walk, just leave. And others would go into taxis and then they would take off. And uh, I remember that caught my, and I, was, I I didn't like pick up on it at first, but then I started seeing, I was like, "Dude, this is, this is literally what is catch and release. This is literally what's going on. I don't, like, have you guys seen that before? You've been in the yes, border. Yes, I have. Yeah, so yeah.
2: what I saw was an NGO that was doing what you're describing. Uh, they would bring buses of these guys in. Uh, they would have a set of phone banks set up. And from there, they called their families. And then they had coordinated for taxis and buses to come by and pick the people up. And then they either went to the airport, they went to the bus station, or they went their own way. And it was all facilitated by an NGO. So
0: yeah. So there, there was a bus station there in Brownsville. So some people kind of walked to the bus station. Right. Uh, so others, I think, took a taxi. My yeah, name?
2: so in, in Texas, they have the Stripes stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, it's, it's it's a stop for the, the Greyhound. It's just a regular Stripes gas station. Bus pulls up, you get on there, and then they go to San Antonio, and then from San Antonio, they go their own way. You know, yeah. I, I didn't, I haven't had a chance to go to the border, but I had an
1: experience. Uh, when I was flying back uh, from California to D.C., our plane was diverted to uh, Dulles. Where we were supposed to land in D.C.A. Yeah. And, and we got off the plane. They said, you know, we're going to have to fill up because they were out of gas. I can't believe out of fuel. And um, the plane was out again? Yeah, plane was out of fuel. It was, that's uh, not good on. news. That's not good news. <laughs> like, and not- I mean, the, the airports are not that far apart, you know, yeah. so it's kind of weird. That's crazy. So when we landed, uh we got off and they, they refueled, and there was this lady with two kids, Latina, she couldn't speak English, and she didn't know what was going on. So I told her, you know, don't worry, we're going to be boarding the plane again, and then we're going to go to, you know, Dallas. She says, oh, okay. So she got on the plane, we got off uh in uh, DCA, and then we're, I'm going towards baggage claim and she is, you know, walking in a different direction. I said, aren't you going to go pick up your bag? And she says, oh no, I'm here illegally. They <laughs> like dropped me off wherever. They dropped me off whatever. And I said, really? You know? And she was from- uh Dude, Dulles is rough. And yeah, <laughs> like, where's no, she no, going to no. go? No, no, no. This was in DCA. Oh, DCA. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But she was, uh, supposed, supposedly somebody was going to pick her up. But okay. she had no bags. She didn't speak English. I mean, obviously it was in where Spanish. Where's she from? Uh, Honduras. Honduras. And I said, wow. Okay. So that's about the only experience I had with the with the borders and no, migrants. But no, that's, that's, that's happening. It's happening because, yeah. like,
0: you know, like I, mean, I want to fast forward a little bit. But towards the end of this story, like, because we'll I ran into some of that same thing, going from Laredo to Dallas. Like, uh, our, our plane was probably no, no joke. Forty percent migrants, uh, wow. you know, and then other rest of us you know, that were flying. But uh, anyway, so I get down there, so I kind of scroll around. There's like a little park outside the the border uh, on the Brownsville side. And there's people, there's Mexicans from Matamoros that come across and they like sell things and things like that. So I was talking to them a little bit. So one of the reasons we went to this, we started in Brownsville was for two reasons. One, because we wanted to just check it out. And two was because we're working on something very specific to a research uh, angle, a case study that you guys will know about soon because it'll be in a paper that we're going to release soon. Uh, that some folks took this specific route and they went through migrant shelters in Matamoros in Mexico. So that's one of the reasons we started in Brownsville uh, because really there's not a whole lot of reasons to go to Brownsville in terms of looking at the mass migration because they don't get it the way they do in other parts of Texas. And so uh, you know we're going in and I was like, okay, so now the question is do we cross the border you know do we go and we hadn't done a whole lot of research here, but we didn't know that this specific case study was important for that. There was these individuals that went through Matamoros, the migrant shelters there was a New York times article that talked about this big migrant camp that's called the washout uh, in Matamoros. And we were like, you know, I was like, let's go check it out. I was like, I'm gonna go check it out. But, um, but I could only go by myself because they, 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 they didn't want to cross the border. So I was like, I'm going to go by myself. That's error. Number one, yep. <laughs> never go without your battle buddy. So, uh, right. uh, so I was but I was like, here's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, I'm going to go across the border. I'm going to, you know, just check it out, you know, eat a taco, uh, talk to some of the Mexicans. If there's a close migrant shelter near, I'll check it out. See something, come back. An hour, hour and a half tops. We'll be back because we still have to drive up to go to Laredo. So that was the plan. Um, and then so I'm taking off, go across the border. As soon as I get to Matamoros, you could tell the difference. And you can't tell the difference necessarily in terms of the the you know like the the scenery. It looks similar. A little bit more, um, um, you know, a little run, more rundown, but not much. But mostly, you could tell it by the level of commercial traffic. Because in Brownsville, you see people selling, there's stores open and things like that. At least on the border area. Uh, in Matamoros, it was like like the Wild Wild West ghost town. Like you know how you get like that eerie, like you just like dust is flying and there's restaurants, but nobody's there. You know, and I, you've been out there. Yeah. Matamoros?
2: Well, I haven't been to Matamoros in particular, but it's a contested plaza. It's a yeah. It's an entry point for drugs into the United States, and it's controlled by the, the cartels, and there's always competition as to which cartel is really in charge. Yeah. So that's part of the reason that people like to stay out of the line of fire. Tamaulipas, a state where Matamoros resides, yeah. is not necessarily a peaceful one. So what you were seeing is a manifestation of that problem.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I, what I think I sensed was like, this is a place where people know like what time it is, right? Yeah. And like if you're a tourist, you can be a tourist, I think the tourists that go, you can be a tourist, mm-hmm. but you better just do touristy stuff. Because right. if you get outside of that lane, which I found out for real quick, <laughs> uh you, you they they'll 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 know. So, anyways, I walk about 15 minutes. But by the way, this is like early August, it's hot as crap. So I'm like sitting there sweating and stuff. So I was like, I just to get need to get, get a cab. So I there's these little cabs that were um, like circled around. So I go first of all, I'm like sc- scouting the cabs because I'm like, okay, that one, that tire is about to blow. And the other one that looks like, they, you know, they hasn't done a tune-up in like about 10 years. So I'm looking at and I saw one the car that was looked okay, you know, and and the driver looked. I don't say he looked trustworthy, but he looked more trustworthy than some of the other dudes. So I was like, okay, we're going to go with him. Talk to him a little bit. as a look, I was like, I'm looking for a migrant shelter, and I showed him some pictures. And he's like, that one that you're talking about, I don't know that. One. That might be far away. He's like, because I've never seen that. He goes, but I know about some migrant shelters that are close to here, you know, and I was, I was like, okay. So we kind of negotiate a rate. He's like, okay, I'll give you, I think it was like $20 or something like that. He said, put, take me around for like an hour, show me these things. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So we go in. I'm already knowing at this point, like I'm taking a little too much risk. Like I'm like, <laughs> like doing a little too much. You know how when you travel and you're in another country, you know, you're like you, you might be a little bit going too far. But I'm like, okay, I'm you know calculating this a little bit in my head. And then he he says on the way, he goes, uh, ¿Quieres ver La Metallica? And I was like, La Metallica? What's La Metallica. And so that's what they call the wall, you know? They oh, call it La Metallica. La Metallica. Yeah, because it's, it's really just metal. Just, it's metal. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, like a yeah. metal fence. So I was like, he's oh, yeah, yeah. like, oh, La Frontera. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like okay. So he takes me along to the little detour. Like, and we go in to watch it, and we get to see it, right? But he kind of passes through, and I have the camera, and we were, like, recording it. But I, And I'm not the best with the camera. So I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm not sure I got a good image. Because finally, when I saw where it was, and it was a little bit, like, maybe, like, 100 meters I was like, oh, there it is, and I was like, okay. But I was like, you know, it was like a little curve. It wasn't nothing big, so I was like, you know, can we circle around again? All right, and I forgot to say. So on the way, I'm talking to the cab driver, and he's, I'm like, you know, how's Montemoros? Como está la cosa? You know? and he's he's still he's like, no, no, no está la cosa tan tranquila acá. He goes, no, no hay mucha gente. He goes, oh, sí, es que lo que pasa es que las maquiladoras. He's like the textile companies, which is the big business out there. He's like they if the traffic happens in the early morning. And then it dies throughout the, the day, and then it picks up at night when everybody's going home and everything like that. He's like, so right now is, like, the best time to move around because everything's quiet. I asked him about the violence and stuff like that. He's like, hey, he's like, you got the, that stuff at out the outskirts, but here downtown, you don't see a whole lot. So he's, really, like, totally chill, right? He's, like, right. like, almost like a tour guide, you know? But then we go across the, to see the border, to see the wall, and I get it, and I was like, can you do another circle around? And I can know the dude's different. Like he's not he's not like oh you know Matamoros is told he's like his face is flush. <laughs> he's, he's right so and he's, so like, no, no. No, no. he's like, No 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 Napoleon. I was like, What happened? He's like, No, no, la mafia. I was like, What do you mean the mafia? He's like, I was like the cartel. Ma- he's like the cartel? He's like, sí, sí, sí. was said, like, ¿Qué pasó? He goes, like, they were there. I said, like, What do you mean? They were those trucks that were there? He goes, Yeah, that's them. And I was like, You mean that the truck that's following us? Uh-oh. So yeah, the trucks. One. And I was and he's like, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And I was like, So what, what does that mean? He's like, No, we can't go back. I was like, Okay, but Like, how far is he going to follow? He's like, I don't know. And so now I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. (laughs) I was like, this is not good. Not good. And there are these white trucks, tinted windows. They look like utility trucks, you know, but they're not. And I saw them when we passed, but it was next to like a water. No, it was next to a sewage center or something like that. So I thought they were just working for, anyways, but.
1: They They were really delivery trucks, right?
0: I don't, so, no, actually, what I think they're doing is because the cartels are doing as much now in human traf- human smuggling yeah. as they're doing in drugs. Yeah. I think this was an operation. I
2: think they're now making more money off of human trafficking than they're off drugs.
0: Yeah, oh. so I think they were monitoring the border crossing because they are probably they probably got an op going on, right? And we kind of, bad timing. Right.
2: <laughs> well, it's also possible that they have people out there just watching. Look and that's what they do. And they, they, they're reporting in. The, the flow of traffic, visitors, people that look suspicious like you. <laughs> so so yeah. that, that gets reported up and yeah. and, uh, and then you don't know what whose turf you're on because Tamaulipas is not controlled by one specific one cartel. cartel. I think that, that's one of the contentious ones. So when, when, when there's violence, that's generally a manifestation that that particular zone, that plaza, is contested. Yeah. If it's calm, that means that somebody controls it outright
0: maybe this one I I can't say this for for certain but maybe this one might be calm because it had a calm vibe yeah unless you're doing something like me that you're not supposed to be doing and then they're 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 like exactly what you said they're like scouts yeah and they saw they're like you know looking at traffic patterns so they saw us like a cab I guess usually doesn't pass through this area they're like what's the cab doing here Mm -hmm. so they follow us so, anyways, like I'm talking to the, the cab driver. I'm like, okay, if, like, can they stop us? He's like, yeah, yeah, they can well, stop. So, the
2: other, the other more likely scenario is when you went across and they started watching you. Mm-hmm. Some kid on a phone is probably reporting back up to somebody who's got a set of wheels, and then they went to verify what was going on.
0: I was thinking that too. I was thinking that they saw me when I crossed the border, right before I even got in the cab. But I mean, to me, that's like this is like high end surveillance right here. They're, they're correct. They're correct. looking at this stuff, and,
2: and it's cheap because they can <clears throat> they can put a lot of these kids out on the street. All you gotta do is give them a cell phone. And uh, you, they're they're contracted out. Back in the day when the cartels were real strong, they would have W two employees. Now these are these are these are W nines, <laughs> independent contractors. So, so as they need, <laughs> they gotta them, pay their own taxes, wow. right? And so what they'll do is they'll say, okay, here's your cell phone. And a lot of times they end up paying in product to some of these kids, oh, yeah, and they, okay. they also do other work for them. Yeah. Some of them are just out there with a the phone. Some of them are out there also selling. Retail drugs, yeah, on the streets, and in, in, on the streets in town because mm. they they want to expand their their customer base, and that's the way that they do it. So those kids are plentiful, and they don't live very nicely, and they can cover a lot of area with just a few people and some cell phones, and then they can report into somebody else, and then they can keep an eye on things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I that I got a sense. So I'm talking to him. Wow. So I'm sitting I'm talking to the cab driver. I'm like, okay, can they stop I was Like, yeah, because stop us, can do whatever you want. I was like. So if they stop us what do we say you know because that's and he's like well he's like don't say you're a journalist i don't know if he thinks i thought he thought i was a journalist and then he's like um don't say you're because tu- if you say you're a tourist they're going to extort you if you say you're a journalist they might kidnap you so the best story i guess is to say you're an ngo worker you know because they don't really mess with the ngo workers because a lot of the ngo workers are there on some arrangement and things like that and actually to some level, it seems like they need the NGO workers to kind of establish like a cover for what they're doing with the migrants and the human smuggling and stuff. So I'm coming up with a whole like last minute cover story. Of what happens if I get if I get pulled up by this cartel? Thankfully, he does, he does a U-turn and it, it leaves. I think he followed us maybe about 10, no, maybe seven minutes. Wow. And he turns around, I'm like, okay. He's like, well, he's like, um, you know, he's want to go to the migrant shelter. And I was like, well, I'm here, so I might as well do it. Wow. So we go out to this uh, this migrant shelter, which is a little bit out. It was actually we went to one actually first that was close by, and there was nothing there. It was an empty warehouse. I was like, so we went to another one, which is about 20, 25 minutes out, and we went to uh, went to it. It was actually a church. It was a church, and there was a bunch of migrants. So I came out and I started talking a little. Look, and there was NNGOs that were working like uh, humanitarian stuff at the uh, at the shelter. And it was mostly uh, Caribbeans, actually. It was a lot of uh, folks from Jamaica, mm. uh, a lot from Haiti. Uh, that was probably the most of the folks. And then obviously, there were Central Americans and stuff. So I start talking, and one of the migrants I start talking to it was this gentleman from Nicaragua. Uh-oh. And uh, <laughs> he's from Nicaragua. And, he, <laughs> <Paisano>. and, he's, <laughs> and, and he's, But the, the interesting thing, he starts spilling to me like, like, he starts spitting the lines, right? He starts talking about the Cold War. <laughs> he starts talking about the Reagan administration. Wow. <laughs> like he knew his stuff. Like but he was all propaganda points. He loved wow. Reagan. Like he loved Reagan, but he hated Bush cuz he thought Bush 43, he thought Bush was uh what do you call them? He said a warmonger. He, yeah, exactly. He said Bush is a warmonger. Uh Obama was a traitor <laughs> and Trump was a Russian asset. literally oh <laughs> what God. he told me. He had like, it all covered. He had it all covered. And I said Biden? And he's like no, no, Biden's the worst. Like Biden's just like a disaster and everything. And what I, was he there? That's, yeah. I couldn't tell if he was like, <laughs> like watching Fox News or CNN because he had all the talking points. He was on all of them. Well,
1: Most Nicaraguans do. They love. Yeah, they love all he,
2: that. He, he could have been a barber. No, <laughs> they, no he was a shoe
1: <laughs> They really know everything.
0: Dude, those guys are yeah. informed. Yeah.
2: Informed.
0: But so he, so he, anyways, I'm talking to him. I think at some point he realizes I'm not a journalist. Right, and he re- and I didn't present myself. As a journalist. I present myself. As, I'm, you know, I'm from uh, the United States. I'm a kind of researcher. I'm looking and see. So he, he he starts to realize. Okay, this guy is not a- asking me, like journalistic questions. And then I'm like, you know, like tell me why why you're here, like why. And he's like, so at first he was telling me like, you know, I'm migrant, I want to go. You know. Then he's like, I was, but I asked him I'm like, well, why don't you cross, right? And then he like confesses to me. He's like, well, no, I was I was already arrested in Miami for drug trafficking. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was for cocaine, for smoking yeah. cocaine, oh. right? He started breaking down a little bit in tears because his family is still in Miami, right? So he's like, he misses his kids and everything like that. But he's stuck here, basically. Uh, he's not going to go back to Nicaragua. And so he's stuck here. And he actually doesn't live in the shelter. He said he lives like a few blocks away. He comes to the shelter for food and for medical attention. He was a little overweight. So I think he had like, you know, prediabetes or something like that. And so he's doing his thing. But then we when he starts talking, he starts telling me some interesting stuff. He starts telling me about the Venezuelans that are coming. And there's not a lot of Venezuelans at this part of the border.
2: Yeah, they're they're up further up north. They're further up north. The, but he like said the Ren Rio is where they, they, they basically just come with a little roller and and the, suitcases they call and they're them well the dressed and they just Versace migrants. Them. They're the Versace <laughs> migrants. <laughs> the well some of them.
0: Well yes, yeah, not actually now they're coming more of the the you know, the guys that are coming like every, you know, displaced person or migrant, but the, in the beginning, I remember in Mexico. They, the border people would tell me they, the border patrol. They would tell me that they would see them because they come in like their roll-on luggage. Yep, <laughs> like rolling across with, the border with, with clean shoes. The clean shoes, and they come with perfume and everything like that. Oh, wow, <laughs> Go straight off the plane in Mexico. No, but he starts telling me that the, the the guy they're not migrants. The Venezuelans that were coming, he said they were because they would come and they would leave, and they would come back and they would leave. And he didn't know the terminology, but what it sounded like to me. Uh, which is you know a term that we use in the defense world called human smuggling facilitators. They're the individuals that actually create the pipelines, and the routes, and the, and, and the infrastructure to be able to move these right. folks. Then he starts talking to me about the Middle Easterners. He starts talking specifically about Iranians. You know, wow. Now I don't have any proof, right? Like the guy doesn't not have any. He didn't show me okay. anything, but he's telling me things. And this is you know you guys will see in the paper that comes out. This is completely correlates with the study that we're doing about yeah. this specific route. So I'm getting very interested in what he's telling me. But I'm starting to notice that more people are coming to this migrant shelter and they're not migrants. They're like younger dudes and they're carrying like supplies and stuff. And I'm like, you know, you know, you know the little spidey sense that we all have, you know, when yeah. danger's close. And I'm starting to like, this is, I got to get out of here. I can't stay in one place too long.
2: Well, one of the other things that may be happening, again, you've got to get the evidence, but if you've got the border completely open and if you are now allowing Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans to come in, Uh, Some of the people that are part of the, let's call it the intel service, maybe uh, people that have been trained to come into the United States and link up with other people here. They're creating cells because with the the border being open, and we already know that there's something like, I don't know, it's over 50 easily, I think it's closer to 80 now, confirmed people with a history of... um, wanting to cause problems for the United States. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how many of those getaways are actually those kinds of people. And it's not like the Cubans, the Nicaraguans and the Venezuelans wouldn't like to cause us some problems, kind of yeah. mischief from within. Uh, and if those cells are forming and they're coming in and you've got these facilitators that are getting them through, and we, we know some of the things that the Venezuelans do with passports and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So it does make it a, a yeah, it, little easier to get and, in.
0: And, you know, to be honest with you, when I first talked to this guy, mm-hmm. I thought he was spitting lines. Like, he might be somebody that specifically designed to create narratives. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's spitting these lines to me. I'm like, Dude, I didn't even ask about the Cold War and everything. like, But, you know, the Iran-Contra and all that stuff. So, yeah. at first, but I, over time, I'm not sure. He might have been BSing the whole time. But over time, I, you know, especially when he broke down about his family, I could tell that, you know, unless he's like a great actor, this, there, there was something wrong, you know.
2: Well, I mean, if you, if you think about the people that came into the Mario Boatlift, where they basically emptied yeah. out the jails, why wouldn't you do that again? No, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially if the borders open. But why not include some other people that are going to be working for you yeah. that you've been wanting to get into the U.S. to infiltrate? And it's it's a lot easier if you just get them in there. Yeah, with, someone that's with a on, a, on, a, on
0: a red notice or someone that has a, a block on their passport. Yeah.
2: And all you got to do is say, there's people that are, they, they know how busy some of these ports of entry are. Where people are turning themselves in, and if they're bogged down processing people, that means that the rest of the border is not going to be as well uh, surveilled. Yeah. So that means that they can come in with greater facility, and I think that's that's uh, at least that's a possibility.
0: Yeah. That's no, happening. all that stuff was coming through my mind, and, and honestly, I would have liked to spend more time with this guy, but I'm, I'm, my spidey sense is going off. I was like, I need to get out of here. So I was like, okay, you know, thanks. I, I leave. And uh, I go to the cab was waiting for me. So I go to the cab and I was like, okay, we, let's just get out of here. Let's go back. Uh, and plus like time is now a thing because I don't know how long I'm there. More than I was supposed to be. I'm, as we're getting in the cab and leaving, the trucks show up. Oh, There's same truck? Two now. Oh. Same truck and another one. You know? Wow. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I, we're about 25 minutes out from where we were uh, from the border. And I'm like, these guys, someone... And so I'm thinking like someone dropped a dime. like someone at the end at the shelter, or like, were they following us the whole time? And I'm just like off. But the good news is when they come in, they gotta cut through this street and we go this way. And so like there's we get a little bit of head, headway. So I just tell my guys, like, how much do you do 20 bucks? Like, I'll give you 40 bucks. Get me to the border and get me there like fast. And so he's like, he starts taking off. We're going. I don't see them, but I'm also not trying to like, you know, I guess mentally tell me. So I'm sitting there, now I'm a little more tense. I get a text message, a WhatsApp message from a journalist in Venezuela. And she writes to me and she's like, "Um, Joseph, she's like, yeah, how's it going? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm (laughs) I'm a little busy. And she's like, oh, I just wanted to let you know that they're talking about you on Venezuelan television. What? And I'm like, what? And she sends me these clips. Are you guys familiar with this incident that happened recently with this uh, Venezuelan Iranian plane that uh, got detained in? Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah. You heard about it. So it's basically yeah. a Venezuelan cargo plane that's really owned by the IRGC in Iran. And they were transporting stuff. They brought it to, uh, uh, it got, st- it was landed in Buenos Aires. This is around June 6th. It was supposed to take off. Uh, the Uruguayans shut their airspace, so they had to circle back. And then it got stopped by the uh, Argentine police. Anyhow, this is a case that's been going on. We I did comment on it in media and stuff like that. Uh, I know a lot about the case, but nonetheless, I mean, that's not what I'm thinking about right now. At the time when I was in the border, Uh, but I was like, "Okay, well, well, what's going on?" She's like, "One of the Venezuelan Chavista congressmen is talking about you and saying that you're the reason the plane got stuck in Argentina. He's they're blaming me, you know. They're saying that they, you know, the the Argentine uh, judicial uh, judiciary or whatever the the U.S. department because the U.S. Department of Justice made a request to the Argentine government to seize the plane, Mm -hmm. which the Argentine government then did seize the plane, and." and so, they're like, they're basically, you know, they're doing propaganda, right? The Chavistas, they're doing what they do. But it's not a good time to tell me this right now. <laughs> and they're, wow. like, I'm, like, in my mind, I'm just, like, okay, can we, like, talk about this, like, tomorrow? Because, um, so anyways, like, the guy, we're, like, we're going, I'm um, going good. I'm, like, we're going to get there. I'm texting, like, Jose Gustavo and, and Leonardo and the guys. and I'm, like, look, I'm going to be there soon. You're like, just wait for me on the other side of the border. I'm going to get there in, like, about 10 minutes. And um, we hit traffic we we're like, it's like now three o'clock or something, three 30. Oh. And we're hitting that time where the textile companies are starting to get off work. At least yeah. the first shift. And I was like, damn, it's was like not what I need to sit through traffic. So he's like, there's a way to get through. Like you gotta, we gotta go through these little towns and we get to get around. And I was like, just do it. When we go through the little towns, we see the trucks again. And I'm like, Oh, oh. and at that point I had like, I had this, like, i made a mistake. <laughs> like I made a mistake. It took you that long?
1: <laughs> well, I realized
0: I was making mistakes along the way, yeah. but.
1: I think the first time you saw the truck, man. You know?
0: <laughs> I, I made a mistake and, and you know, it's crossed through my mind. I thought the cab driver did me in. I thought, I thought. I this would did, always take that too. I, I had that premonition early, but then at that point I was like, he's taking me in a little road. Uh-oh. I'm like, oh, this, I'm such an idiot. Um, Ransom money. I'm thinking I'm like having flashes. I'm about to get rendition to Venezuela because <laughs> you know some cartels gonna grab me and they're gonna be like, oh, that's that guy. Oh, that's what they want. Okay, we're... I'm just saying all these bad. Mo- Anyways, um, he wasn't. He took me to another road actually that was much faster. when We got to the border, and then basically we just wait for like maybe like a minute or two so the trucks because they weren't they didn't see us. They were like Shh. I don't even I know. No, at this point, I don't know if it's the same trucks. They just all, so there's an interesting thing. There was their these trucks have markings. Like you have to know what they are, but once I figured out what the markings are, you could see the markings. Uh, they're not like it doesn't say the name of a cartel or anything, but it has a marking that lets you know which truck is which truck. And I saw the markings, so I don't know if it's the, like I don't know if it's the same truck, different truck. I mean, they're all white, you all know, tinted windows, so it kind of looks all the same. Um, and one was red actually, but anyways, um, I get there, I saw them kind of pass. I just do the fastest hundred meter dash that I could do, and I'm running. I feel like I'm like. I feel like I'm illegal now. I feel like I'm running away from the border. But anyways, I get to the border, uh, I crossed. and the, dude, I never felt so good to be back in America. You <laughs> ever have that feeling when you land in the United States? I yeah, have it yeah. sometimes when I land in the plane. Yeah. You ever get that like, like, oh, yeah. I'm safe, right? Yeah. Like, like they're not gonna know funny business. They're not because I've been, I've been detained at airports by not friendly governments in Latin America on different occasions. So I know what it, like. and we, you get this feeling of like. I'm okay. Are you, guys, you guys had that?
2: Sure. Yes.
1: Like, in the army, we used to call it the world, right? Yeah. You got to go back. Well, to well, the I didn't world. call it the world. But yeah, that's, <laughs>
0: what,
1: that's what they called it. Anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. So anyway, we play. get we get back, and and Jose was telling me they waiting for me at the border. Like, what took you so long? But now we got another problem because now it's like almost 4 p.m. and our flight's at 7 p.m. and we're in Brownsville and our flight's in Laredo. So I was that's like, that's a hike. That's a hike. That's a hike. Yeah. So now we're like, okay, guys, I'm alive. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get out. And so we get the car. Boom. We're going out. Jose Gustavo was driving because I got to do some messaging. Wait a
1: yeah. You didn't see another white truck, did you?
0: No, they didn't cross the border. Oh, actually. <laughs> they, they didn't cross the border. They didn't cross the border. That's why I said I felt like. You think. You uh, think. Well, so the, here's the thing. I'm not like, a like I'm not 100% until I get back to Dallas, you know? Yeah. And even then, 100%, you know? So I'm, I'm sitting there, but I'm like, and I'm telling them a little bit the story and what's going on and everything. And we're driving, uh, and Jose Gustavo was driving uh, the car, and he's driving you know, speed limit and all that stuff. And uh, there's actually a checkpoint. Border patrol has checkpoints. Like, yeah, I, you know, yeah right. inside. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a checkpoint, and they stop us. I didn't say I didn't tell you guys this before, but the car that we rented it was like from a, a Hertz or something like that. In, in like, they, it looked like an article. It was oh. like, it was like, a, I think it was like a sedan, black tinted windows. It was. Oh, so we we pulled out. The, they probably why they well, anyway. There was a checkpoint, so they stopped us. you know, Jose Gustavo, you guys know him. He's Venezuelan. Right. And he has like a military look and demeanor and say he rolls the window down and his English is good but it's not like fluent and then the board was like where are you guys from? He says Venezuela. Oh. Like fuck. (laughs) I was like that's not what you would Good luck. (laughs) And then he looks in the back. They always look in the back, right? Yeah. And Leonardo's in the back. And I like, where he's from? Colombia. Oh. <laughs> I was like, not, oh. all they got to do is say I'm from Bolivia. Oh. We're going to get him up because we just like, we have like the the, the narcotics tri- triad, in our, the coca triad in our car. Oh, my goodness. And I'm sitting there like, okay. Like, and so I like usually, when you're in the past, I usually don't interject when the cops talking to the driver because they don't like, cops don't like that, right? They, they want to right. have a conversation. They don't, don't talk to them unless they talk to you, you know? But I felt like I need to say something before He's gonna put us in like secondary or something. And I, so I interject and I was like, no, yes, sir, they're with me. You know, Here's our passports. He's like, oh, you guys have different, you guys are from different states. I was like, yeah, I work for a think tank. And I actually give him these little flyers, like these, we have these little Border Wars podcast flyers. So I was like, and I run a think tank in Washington. We we like actually do things about the boards while we're here. And he's like, he totally changes his demeanor. And he's like, orale. He's like, all right, cool, man. He's like, you guys on YouTube? He's like, all right, right on. So I think we got a subscriber. If you're watching this, thank you. For, for subscribing. and any, Anyhow, so he lets us go. But now we're worried because that, I don't know, but it took like 20 minutes or so. Now we're not, we're going to miss our flight. So we're going, but we actually got uh, the first notification said your flight has been delayed. It was supposed to leave at 7.30. It's now going to leave at 8.30. And we're like, okay, right, we're a little cool. Now our adrenaline's going down. And we're like chilling. I'm actually not starting to fall asleep because I'm a little tired. And then um, second notification, your flight's been delayed till 9.30. Oh. And I was like, well, now we got plenty of time. So now we go, get to, get. we get down to Loreto. We were gonna stop in McAllen, but we're like, we don't got time. So we just went straight up to Loreto. We get to Loreto where we drop off the car and everything. We, we went to have dinner at a nice uh, Tex Mex restaurant. And, uh, Not a taco truck? No, no. They, they, actually, I didn't eat the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have time. I was like, going, they ate the hot dog Uh-oh. the whole time. They were really complaining. They were like, oh, dude, I'm so hungry. That, that thing, one of them, like it messed up their stomach a little bit. The other one like Parts is parts Yeah yeah it was just, I, I Actually we don't even know It was a hot dog To be honest with you Like it was something <laughs> It was a dead put, dog It was something That they put in there <laughs> Oh my god help me Um. Anyhow so we get We get in uh, You know have a good dinner Get to the airport Loretto's a small airport Like very small Oh yeah So our flight's at like uh, Actually our flight was at 10 And uh, we get to the airport Like around 9 We're like we're good You know we were We were checking We already have a boarding pass And everything Um and we're going to, and the security gate's closed. Like these dudes closed the gate an hour before the flight. And luckily, when as soon as we get to the security, uh, uh, you know, crossing the, uh, the security gate, uh, there was one person there. I think it was from like CPB or something. And I was like, I was like, he's like, no, oh, we just closed like you know five minutes. ago. I was like, no, you can't. I was like, dude, our flight's like is right there. He's like, oh no, they're already boarding. He's like, no, they're not. He's like, they're sitting there waiting right there. And he's like, oh, he's like, are you guys from law enforcement? I was like, no. He's like. Oh, he's like, oh, he's like, all right, all right, you know? And so he had to call, like, the other, like, the, the TSA people to come, and they had to open up, they had to, like, start up the machines and everything like that. Like, they were actually, they closed down because they thought everybody was there, and they want to get off early. That's why they were doing it, because it's actually really early. Wow. Because they're not supposed, they're supposed to do it, like, I think, before you have boarding time. It wasn't even boarding time yet. Anyway, so we can't, but, like, for a second, I had this flashback of Arauca on the Colombian-Venezuelan border, Cause uh, we when we were leaving that part and it was you know it's a danger much more danger. Well, I don't even know that, much that's more. That's another messy border. Yeah, it's messy. It's but messy. anyway, so we're the airport's more dangerous there because there's not a lot of people that are not from that area that are flying into Arauca on the border, of Colombia, Venezuela. And uh, I remember the plane never almost the plane kept getting delayed and it almost never arrived. And you know I was with some guys from Colombia and they're like, we're not staying here. Like we just can't stay in Arauca. This is not good. I mean, this is where they kidnap military people and take them to Venezuela and kill them. So we're like. We can't get there. So I'm getting flashback. Like we can't, Loretto actually not that bad. I don't think, but I'm already had this bad experience. Like, I need to get out of here. I was like, I cannot stay. We can't stay here. Uh, thankfully we get there. We get on the gate with everything. We get on a plane. That's what I was telling you guys. And so when we get on there, it was all migrants. That wasn't all, but it was like, like 40% wow. migrants. And that's where we ran into this Venezuelan family. And, and, you know, you know, I was with Jose Gustavo and he could tell like, you know, Venezuelans and where they're from and everything. Yep. And we start talking and like one of the, the she was like younger, uh, you know, nice, nice looking young lady, but, but, you know, she had tattoos on her neck. So we could tell, you know, she's, she's from a different part of Venezuela, you know, and she comes and she's like, you could tell they don't, they have never been on a plane before. Like this is, the, they never been out of Venezuela. They literally just left Venezuela. They took the whole on foot march up, you know, uh, through the Darien gap, that whole thing, right. All the way. I don't know how long it took them, but they got there. To hike. And this, and they crossed the border and this was their first plane ride ever in their life that they're taking. Like I could tell, you, she didn't know how to put the seatbelt on, oh, wow. and she's like, "Can you help me put the seatbelt?" And so, and, and so she's like, "Like, how, how do I do that?" She's like playing with the, like uh, tray, and she's like, "She's like, it's all new." And I'm sitting there, just looking at her, like. And so I start talking a little bit. right? She's being like a little flirtatious too. I'm like, so I start talking a little bit right now, and she tells me, I was like, "So, like, what?" You know, the question came my mind is like, "How? how you get here? How'd you get? And Who paid?" Like. Yeah. You know, if you don't got money to, if you don't got money to fly to Mexico, how do you have, have money to? They have credit plans. So that was interesting, right? So yep. is an NGO. So the way it, she was telling me would work is that basically as soon as they arrive into the United States, the NGO will take care of their billeting in their flight. But they don't, but they have to get to the border. Right. You no, know?
2: And you had to pay to get to the border yeah. or you had to have an IOU, mm. which means that they put an interest rate on credit, that. Credit, yeah. on that minute, NGO,
1: that means it's funded by the government? No, non government organizations. Yeah. yeah but, but there's some more funded. They're, they're, some well, some branch, get support. Right? They yeah. get their branch. Yeah. But, wow.
0: So uh, w- the research that we're doing is basically in this case, a lot of it is funded by the government, not our government, the Venezuelan government. You know? uh, Go figure. Uh, and the Venezuelan government, because they use their state owned airline, which is Conviasa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use their state owned immigration, which is Sime, to give the documents, the visas, and stuff. Uh, and then they use their network in Mexico. To connect with the human smuggling facilitators, and so on average, it costs about five thousand dollars for a Venezuelan to get up into the border, right? And they guarantee you, I think, like three attempts to go cross the border, and then once higher than that, it could be higher. It could be higher, but it's like on average, right? Uh, um, and and I think what they do is they kind of do it in bulk, right? Like if you're buying a family and things like that, and then if you cross, then there's an NGO. That now receives you and facilitates all your travel to go from uh, your point of origin to whatever it is. In this case, she was going to Los Angeles.
2: Well, and also some of those NGOs are all networked, so yeah. it's not just an NGO. There's, they they pass each other. they they pass from NGO to NGO.
0: So she's that that, and that's a great point because what I could tell now, you know she's like just a migrant. Right? She she's like basically operating within a network that she doesn't even know what the network really is. She's right. just like okay, look, I. You know, one dude helped this group help me get to Mexico. This other group helped me get to the border. There's other group's helping me get to LA. Once we get to LA, we're gonna figure it out. But they're paying for a hotel while we're in LA for like a month or two months or something like that. So I'm sitting there like, this is like a lot of money yeah. to do all this. Like, what yep. the heck is going on? And so you could we, tell like they don't really have a plan per se. Right? What's, not,
1: what's the end game
0: though? Yeah. Like what's like, what's the goal? And I asked her. I said like, so what do you guys? She's like, you know, we're just gonna find a job. I said, like, what do you mean? You like we don't have you can't apply places because you don't have any papers. And they're like. No, there's plenty of work, and I was like, okay, I don't know. So I was like, I can stop asking questions. I'm, oh,
2: there's there's plenty of work. Yeah, yeah. So do you I, the, go to any any place that's washing dishes or? Yeah, I mean, or you or know, picking food or clean whatever. cleaning and I stuff. Mean, especially those that are not vulnerable to paying minimum wage. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah. is the function that they they they're serving because you've got all these <clears throat> minimum wage requirements, but if you've got migrants, you can just kind of say, well, we're not going to do that, and nobody is. Yeah, Enforcing anything like E-Verify So uh, they're the ones That provide cheap labor
0: Yeah, no, no, for sure Um, Yeah, and, and some of that I think is just economic incentive Right, they're going to do this And it's, it's 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 kind of the most logical thing to do Especially if you're coming from Venezuela Where there isn't work in many respects But then you don't, you never know, right You never know if she's one of those That are coming for economic Or if she's another one, you know Well, we don't know That's the yeah, thing, right yeah. So to me it's like you know, I, I've, and I, you know, especially I just had this experience, and, and I'm just thinking I need to stop asking too many questions. I need to just stop. The research is done. We got well, what we need. The problem needed.
2: is that we, as a government, are not asking those questions, and that's the well, problem.
0: Yeah, that's different, right? So, like, if you're uh, working for immigration or you're working for ICE or. Your CPB or your border patrol, I mean thats your job is to ask those questions, right?
2: And you gotta, you got to cycle a bunch of people through because you can only hang on too much for so long and you've got these long lines so you're not going to be as efficient in the way that you do
0: that. Well, and I think the big problem at the board, and this is kind of you know I have a lot of, you know we have population problems all over the world, right? There's a depopulation that's happening globally, right? We're just not birth rates are slowing for fertilization rates. And so in many ways, we need more population, we need more migration too. And I get it, and I and actually, you know I, mean, I I have a position that migration is good for society, right? More people, more ideas, more innovation. But you know, and I have a lot of libertarian friends that defend those positions, and, and and I agree with it. But and I always tell them not all at the same time. Like we need ordered migration, right? Sure. So to me, the biggest challenge on the border is a capacity problem. It's a basically a problem of 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 what border infrastructure we have, and so what I what I was I think the last report that I read. Uh, said that our southern border has on any given day the capacity to attend to uh, 1,500 to 1,700 encounters and apprehensions per day. That's the whole, board. that's all the way from San Ysidro down to all the way where we're at in Brownsville. Um, but if you do the numbers of the math, we're about to hit 2 million, right, for the end of right. the fiscal year. That's more than 7,000 per day right. of yeah. what we're dealing with. Right. That's, that's that's known, That's That's not the gotaways, right? That's not the gotaways. There's a lot of gotaways. And so this is like, so like, there's just no capacity. We're being flooded. We're being flooded, right? And I could, that was the, I could see it. I saw it when I came in with the catch and release stuff. This is just just letting them in. I saw it when I was leaving with the, you know, the NGO network that's facilitating these movements. Uh, And I saw it, you know, when you go on the board on the Mexican side, and actually I didn't say this, this was, you know, thankfully I was in Matamoros because this was at the same time that in Tijuana- you guys remember what happened? The cartels started blasting each other on Tijuana. That was the same uh, day, the same day that that happened. And the American consulate, the U.S. consulate in Tijuana had, they say all Americans prohibited from coming. All Americans that live here shelter down because the cartels went to war in Tijuana.
2: That's a perfect example of a contested plaza. Yeah. That's what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And Tijuana is like, you know, I remember when I was in Camp uh, Pendleton, I mean, it's like Tijuana like a half an hour car, right? People but, go
2: there. Think about the size of Tijuana. It's big. Yeah. Think it's about huge. the Metroplex. And then, Think about the the size of a place like Juarez El Paso. And so Juarez is, is I think it's a couple of million people. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's depopulated a bit, but whenever those plazas are contested, there's a lot of bullets flying. Yeah. And there's a lot of money to be made because of the size of those those entry points and the infrastructure going into the United States.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know for sure. So I, I I to me like the big takeaway from that trip well first was, you know. Don't be an idiot and <laughs> go to Matamoros, Mexico by yourself again. Wow! Um, that, and I've been if, to a lot of places. I've that's, been in Iraq. That, that's like, that's if risky. it makes you
2: feel better, I, I've done something <clears throat> similar, except I went with somebody that knew, and and I got the same sense when you're driving around and people just kind of look down, uh, and I saw burned out houses that used to belong to somebody who was in power. Now the new guy is in power, and he's got the nice house because yeah. he's he's the guy that's now running the show. So it's 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 very uneasy. And when you come across the border and you return back, you're right. You get that sense of oh
0: back yeah and that that to me was really kind of like an interesting sensation and moment because geographically topographic it's like the same area right and even demographically you know there's a lot of Mexicans same. On, you know, but there's a different energy on this side of the board I mean and I'm positive the cartels are operating on Brownsville as well but there's just a different energy and what it spoke to me was rule of law right we have you know as bad as things are going here in the United States, as much as things are getting you know crazy and different, different stuff, even within courts and stuff, like that, but we still have a sense of the rule of law in this country. And right. we have confidence that it exists here. Like in Mexico, you know, honestly, when I was in Matamoros, I didn't see one cop the whole time. I mean, I felt like the cartel were the cops.
2: You know, the problem is that yeah. because of the circumstance of allowing the border to open up, that allows more people to come forward. That means that, the cartels are making money hand over fist, not only with the migrants that are coming across, but it's also given them a golden opportunity to be able to funnel in a lot more drugs and a lot more other illegal things, not just necessarily drugs, into the United States, which means that the cartels are becoming more and more powerful. They're having uh, a windfall of all sorts of money pouring in, which means that then they're able to challenge the state With greater facility. Yeah. yeah, And so what that means is that now those state institutions that are responsible for fighting those cartels are being challenged even more by these cartels that have a lot of money. And if you have anybody that you can buy off, obviously that also feeds into corruption. And so what it does is it destroys rule of law. Yeah. Now we've always been big proponents for making sure that we institutionalize or, or that we establish strong institutions. But when those institutions are constantly challenged because the people that are challenging the state have more money and more resources, you have a big problem. This is one of the problems that you have in Central America. For yeah. example, they're, they're small countries, a lot of vested interests with lots of money, and it makes it significantly more, more. it, it, it makes it easier for them to buy off politicians uh, and to feed into the corruption. So these are some of the problems that this, these, these are second and third order effects of allowing the border to stay open, and then once we can get into the United States, uh, somebody's got to move these people around. So the coyotes before, where they had to pay for people within the United States to move them around, now we've become a link in that chain of coyoteism. You know, <laughs> yeah, we are yeah, the coyotes yeah. of choice because we're getting people from point A to point B, wherever they want to go, and and the cartels don't have to pay for that anymore. So yeah, they're making yeah. even more money, and the U.S. government is the one that's providing that that service.
0: Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, so the other big takeaway I had was how big the network is. Huge. Because this is, this is this was like, this is not, and this is even the same border 10 years ago. No. Where, where you know, you, I think the cartels, and, and I think in the area that I was in, in matamoros most likely the golf Cartel. I don't know that for a fact, but at least from what I've read, it seems to be that's the one that controls that area. But isn't the same golf Cartel that we had from 10 years ago? This isn't also the same. Matamoros that we had from 10 years ago. This isn't the same U.S. southern border. Like, there's a robust trans-regional network that's operating. And then the other part, you know, with the Venezuelan family and everything, is they're bringing the border to throughout the entire United States. Exactly. They're bringing it to uh, California. They're bringing sure. it to New York. No, bringing, it's, it's think, the entire United States. And you were saying, like, you said that you saw some of this just on a flight here. On a flight here, Yeah, yeah and so it's coming to Washington, yeah. D.C., uh, so I think that you know that's why I think you know it's called border wars podcast for a reason because I think you know the border challenges are no longer just on the border.
2: I, I oh, think no. the other thing that you have yeah. to take into consideration when you're looking at the border is that Mexico is our number two trading partner, and it kind of goes back and forth. Sometimes it's Canada, sometimes it's Mexico, yeah. China. Right now course. it's Mexico, right? Right now yeah. Mexico's number two. Right America's now two. It's so, but again. it's so yeah. minuscule. It, 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 look, it's one of the top two trading partners. Right. What that means that is that the mechanisms to do legal trade are extensive. So not only are you dealing with all of this illicit activity, but you still have to be able to move stuff back and forth. For example, if you're going to manufacture a car, let's yes. pick a pick a brand, uh, it's gotta go back and forth across the border in some cases, multiple times, up to five times, maybe more. I'm, I'm not a, an expert exactly yeah. at how that supply chain works, but that's what happens. That means that you've got to be able to have controls through customs on both sides of the border to get the stuff through, and you talked about Laredo. Yeah. Laredo is one of the biggest entry points of commercial traffic yeah, yeah, yeah. in the United States. Yeah. If you go it's for there, Eagle Pass, right? Well, Laredo, Laredo, and, and, and uh, Nuevo Laredo. Nuevo Laredo. In yeah. yeah. those, but it's because of the network that it ties into in the United States. So that is a that, that's a that's a channel of of legal commercial traffic that is 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 beyond the pale. If you look at the lines of traffic on the on the. The U.S. side and even on the Mexican side that goes back and forth, it is phenomenal. Oh, that—that you know?
0: that was another thing I didn't mention. Yeah. That and Tijuana too. I Tijuana. Did, yeah. I didn't mention that, but you know, what is so, so the line to go into Mexico? No line. <laughs> the line to go into the United States. Yeah, it's actually better by foot. Yeah, because by car it's, it's like four hours right. by car. It's ridiculous. And it's funny. I, I. That's another thing I didn't mean. Wow. When I was coming into Mexico. And I saw there's nobody, no cars coming into me. And I saw there's like a huge line. I was like, I think I'm going the wrong way. (laughs) I think I'm going the wrong direction here.
1: You know, in in Laredo too, like you said, a commercial hub, they're expanding. I think they're building another bridge uh, to be able to, to expedite the... Transportation. And, yeah. and there's some really goods. good
2: programs between Mexico and the United States to facilitate that legal flow of commercial goods from, right. from one well, country well, the, to the other. Well, the commercial
0: other. stuff to me is, is good. I mean, that's one of the it benefits that we have yeah. with Mexico, with our good relationship we have with Mexico. But... I think the question now becomes is, you know, that whole trade relationship is dependent on having a sovereign state structure that Correct. respects the rule of law on both sides of the border. Exactly. Uh, and that's what the, the cartels and every all this thing, that even some, to some respect, not all the NGOs, but some of these other NGOs that aren't just doing NGO work, they're actually being facilitators for the cartels and the human smuggling operations. It's dismantling all that. Correct. And I think it's blurring that border. And well, so not that, only that, but it, it,
2: uh, it just makes everything much more complex because you're, you're commingling the legal with the illegal. And then at what sure. point do you start corrupting it's the legal? It. Yeah, it's you're, blending it. Well, you're going to corrupt the legal if you keep doing And that's what I feel like l- the,
0: the border is becoming like a big blender. Correct. And it's just blending everything. It's blending nationalities because they're all kind of coming. It's blending legal systems. But it's weakening the rule of law. That's Absolutely, the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, that's huge. on the, some of the southern yeah. border towns and so. And the last lesson I learned is don't cancel a border wars podcast because <laughs> we got problems if we cancel. Well, the the border Although
1: people wars. have to know. I mean, you yeah, know, this is the firsthand knowledge.
0: Yeah, no, and yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm you know glad I lived to tell the tale. tale. Yeah,
1: absolutely, but it reminds me when you're talking about the border and the cartels and the. It reminds me of uh, Born in East LA. Oh, that's, I mean, right. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's, that's right. Chichic yeah, Chucky, right? yeah, yeah. When yeah. he comes back. They think he's illegal because he doesn't he's have his illegal, document. His document, he brings back with all these Asian guys, and he's talking. Oh, I You got to do all of this to get across the border. But it was basically a cartel that was Dude, not no, to but get thats when you had, That's when you had
2: border enforcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah not so, now. We don't well, have that.
0: Anymore. Well, that <laughs> <I> felt like Chichen <laughs> Chong when I was trying to come back into America. I was like, trust me, I'm not an illegal. I was like, yeah. I'm a citizen. Exactly. But uh, anyway, so guys, if you're new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to the Border Wars podcast on YouTube or Spotify, wherever you like to listen. Uh, and be sure to like, uh, hit the like button, hit the little bell. It helps with the algorithm and drop a comment if you want. Drop some questions. I'll answer any questions that you got about my trip uh, and everything uh, related to what we just discussed. The border is probably one of the top issues in the United States is one of the top issues. And it's not just our border. Actually, I've been I was just came back from uh, Estonia and and, and Finland. And, you know, the problems that they're having with Russia on their border. I mean, the borders are becoming kind of the conflicts of the 21st century. So uh, we'll see you guys at the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Border Wars podcast and visit our website at securefreesociety.org. See you in the next episode.